What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox podcast. This is Adam Frommel here with my fabulous co-host, Dan Favalli, and we have an exciting episode for you today that's going to kick off with some talk about the biggest names who have found themselves in trade rumors during this early stage of the NBA offseason. That's Bradley Beal, Victor Oladipo, Drew Holiday, and Chris Paul. We're going to transition from that into a mailbag as we answer questions that you have submitted to us on the NBA Math Twitter account. But before we get into all of that, a shout out to our sponsors, betonline.ag and Indeed. You'll be hearing from both of them later. And before we get going, we want to encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever medium you use to listen, to download, to enjoy the content. Now, with that all out of the way, Dan, how's it going? I'm doing well over here relative to the world crumbling around us as we anxiously wait on pins and needles for the election results, but I no complaints beyond that. Everyone can complain about that. There are people who will be far more impacted by the results than I, but fingers crossed for who will probably by the time this is published, hopefully have been announced as the winner. I was going to say, I hope that this intro is outdated by the time it goes live. That would be great. Yeah. And if it's not, um, damn. <laughs> That's all I can fair, say. fair, yeah. Uh, I, I've de- I've devoted way too much of my mental energy to just like analyzing which counties have ballots remaining and what the vote breakdown looks like. And it's it's like I don't even want to use the word distracting, but it's for me personally, it's been incredibly tough to focus. Like when we're supposed to be getting work done, and look, this is let's just call it straight up. The election is the reason we only have one podcast this week. It's the reason that podcast is coming at the end of the week. It was going to come just before it, uh, but we had a cancellation for a guest that was coming on. It's just been something that's on everyone's minds, and it's impossible not to follow if you care about humanity at all. It's just I can't look away, and I want to, and you can call it doom scrolling. You can call it an inundation or an overflow of information, which isn't necessarily helpful because of how reactionary the takes then are. Look, You remember election night where the people were reacting to the betting markets. Um, and then they wake up to like different results altogether. There was the, you know, you talked to this about me. It's not something I'd really read up on until after it happened, but the red mirage that was, um, going on. So it's just, it is, it is exhausting and it's definitely, there's going to be rage, um, and mind fatigue for more so for people who are not you and I. And so I really feel for them. Uh, but hopefully, like you said, that this, this intro will be outdated by the time the podcast drops. How have you been holding up though? I'm just, I'm emotionally exhausted. I, uh, I had a lot of emotional capital in this one. Um, you know, I, I worked as a precinct leader in Colorado um, for the Biden-Harris campaign. 
um, and, and made a lot of get out the vote efforts and, you know, calling voters in the area and all that. So I'm, I'm just I'm ready to see the results. It, it paid off in Colorado and we're just we're waiting. But, yeah, it's I'm just drained. You know, I, I'm, I'm ready to just feel 20 pounds lighter when the results are announced. I'm with you. And the other thing that happens with all this is like when you have to do for us specifically where we're dealing with sports, I, I, I feel like I've enjoyed my time in sports so much because I understand how inessential I am, but there's nothing like the inessentiality you feel during a time like this, where I just elected to not even try and schedule. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do with these team previews because the season is happening on December 22nd. Now it just seems like, so we've been trying to figure out a content plan for that, but like, I can't even bring myself to reach out to people this week to try and schedule stuff. I'm like, you know, we're just gonna have to kick the can until next week. I just can't bring myself to like, I don't want to infringe upon what anyone else is feeling. And I just feel so, I don't even know what the word is. I'd feel embarrassed or stupid to drop into like direct messages or, you know, contact someone and be like, Hey, you want to come on and talk about oops. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you know, with the NBA math account, which I, I run the Twitter account for the most part, uh, we've been releasing the crystal basketball results uh, team by team. And I hope everyone has been enjoying those, but it just, it didn't feel right to release any of those on Wednesday morning. So, you know, we kicked it one day down the road and, and even releasing it Thursday morning just felt a little weird, just like clogging up people's timelines with these these grades for basketball players when it seems like such a large portion of our followers of, you know, Twitter users in general are, are so invested in, in piecing together the minutia of this election week. Yeah, look, and I run the Blue Wire Pods Twitter account and two of their Instagrams and I haven't really been the past couple of days. Like I've been just more selective about Wednesday. I didn't really post at all. Like the day after the election is when it felt like that was the, when the information was being digested hardest. I've been more selective there where with Instagram, like it's not as real time. It's like, if you can, like, I feel like the content's more acceptable there. I do however, also think it's important. Like distractions are good. Like to take your mind off of it. If you want to, we're not trying to force it down anyone's throat, but you know, I think talking hoops is cathartic for me. I've been on a couple podcast radio stations this week. So this podcast is for anyone who needs that distraction or just wants to listen to it, you know, a few days down the line because we have some hot button questions to get to. And obviously everyone wants to talk about trade candidates. It's one of for me among the most entertaining parts of the NBA. Like fuck the NFL trade deadline. That is boring. Every year I say so the same boring. thing. <laughs> That was so boring, and we knew it, we knew it was going to be that way going in. And shame on the NFL for having the right. trade deadline on election day. <laughs> that was just a horrible move and just vintage NFL. Like I wouldn't have expected anything else, but I was disappointed nonetheless. But anyway, NBA trade stuff. I want I want to kick that off by asking you. You know, we mentioned the four names: Bradley Beal, Victor Oladipo, Drew Holiday, and Chris Paul. Of those four, can you rank them? in in order of most likely to least likely to be moved during this offseason? Yeah, so I would say I'll go from least likely to likely. Beal is the least likely because I think the Wizards kind of owe it to themselves to see like what John Wall looks like next to Bradley Beal because if John Wall is any semblance of John Wall, the Wizards could actually be really good pretty quickly. And unless they're going to get like this huge godfather offer, which I don't know why that offer still wouldn't be there at the trade deadline unless that team goes out and trades for one of the other guys, I'd say he's least likely... I feel like Victor Oladipo would be second, um, least likely, just because he's two seasons removed from that All-NBA campaign, hasn't really 
looked right since his ruptured quad, and he was also trying to play, play through that injury at first. He's on an expiring contract, so that should increase Indiana's urgency to move him. But they could also sign him to an extension, and maybe he looks at like the landscape and realizes if there isn't a ton of trade interest in him where teams aren't going to give up the world, does it make it more likely that he signs for a palatable number with the team. Either way, I think you give it like the start of the season to see if he looks anything close to himself because you have structured that roster very much around him and like the Mattis Sabonis. Like you paid Malcolm Brogdon, you paid Miles Turner, you paid Sabonis, uh, you paid Jeremy Lamb. TJ Warren's going to be paid. This isn't necessarily a roster that can just afford to pivot into a rebuild. And I don't know how much you're going to get for him on the trade market anyway. I certainly don't think the offers get appreciably worse as time goes on because any team that gets him on some level has to view him as a rental, unless they know that he's going to be his all-NBA self. The next two are tough. I think Drew Holiday is number two for me, just because there's a chance that the Pelicans might want to be really good, even if uh, that's not what David Griffin said. Like, And that was just bizarre. So um, Sharania reports that the Pelicans are entertaining offers for Holiday, and then David Griffin comes out and essentially confirms it. You just don't see that, particularly... Well, he, he said that he said that they're listening to offers, but not you don't, that they're you shopping. You never see that, right? either. Like, that's not I know, some... but I, I think the semantics are important there. Like, where it is just... It's a little bit different, the optics of listening to offers versus calling teams and making offers yourself. Right, and he has that player option for $27-plus million after next season where it's like, is that a situation where he would opt in? Um or opt out and look for a longer term deal. If he's still with the Pelicans, you could do, you know, the opt in and extend. That might be a possibility. But because they have like that extra year is right there where maybe a team could talk themselves into thinking they have two years of him, the Pelicans might be throwing this out there to see if they can get that Godfather offer for him. And so if they don't get it, they look at their roster now and like it could still have a chance to be pretty good. They're about to pay Brandon Ingram anyway. I understand why they might not want to pay everyone at once. Lonzo Ball's extension eligible. Josh Hart's extension eligible. Drew Holiday's going to be on a new deal in the next year or two. So that does get messy, but they're sort of in a better position. Not even a better position, but they're in a position to be patient. Whereas in Oklahoma City, where I put Chris Paul at number one, even though he has that two years and 85.6 million dollars left on his contract, that's tough to swallow. But Oklahoma City is the one team that is clearly going in the opposite direction of their stars timeline. And so that's why I would think he'd be the most likely to be moved. I'm curious whether you have any qualms about that, that ranking. No, I mean, I I feel like I was on the verge of straining a neck muscle with how much I was nodding in agreement with everything that you were saying there. Yeah. I, I I totally agree with the order. Um, I would have, if I'm rating these out of 10, where 10 is, they're definitely going to be moved. One is they're definitely staying in place. And five is like a 50, 50 chance. I think Beal's like a one. There, there's no way that the Wizards are going to move him because they're not going to get the, the requisite value back in return. And they have to see what he can do alongside John Wall at this point because there's not going to be a successful rebuild with Wall on the roster unless this core works. So that's just not happening, I don't think. I get why he's still in the news because he's probably the most coveted name of all of them if there is any possibility of him being moved, but I just I can't see it happening. Oladipo, I think I would... I would give like a four out of 10 where I just, I don't think that the return will be sufficient given the fact that whoever trades for him will have to sign him to an extension with only one season of seeing what level he's going to play at. You know, you mentioned the all NBA, the all NBA campaign two years ago, that kind of feels like an aberration at this point in his career, as we've talked about on previous episodes where the the sample of sub star play 
is larger than the sample of star caliber caliber play at this point. And it also came before that injury that has so clearly had a big impact on him. I think there's a possibility he could be moved, but Indiana would have to just be desperate and accept a lesser return. Holiday, I, I would put that at like a 6 out of 10. And the uncertainty there for me is just the, the packages that we've seen and heard about so far. Like, are, do they really want to move him if like Karis Levert is the best player they're going to get in return or like something equivalent there? It feels like they could decide the Pelicans could decide to move Holiday for either rebuilding pieces for other current contenders uh, or, or players who could make them a current contender. But at the same time, like even if he doesn't really fit the timeline because he's 30 years old of the younger players on the roster, like this team is ready to compete for a playoff berth in the Western Conference right now um, with Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart and all the other talents they have on the roster. So that could really go either way. Um, and then Chris Paul is probably like a 10 out of 10. You know, between the the social media farewell after they were eliminated from the playoffs and just the direction that they're clearly going and parting ways mutually with with Billy Donovan, um, it, it just feels like there's absolutely no chance he's going to finish or even start the season in Oklahoma City. And which is it's kind of funny to say that because he's objectively probably the toughest contract to move just because of all that money. But I also think that could make the asking price lower where. If you can get cap relief, some immediate, and then most of it coming next year, and what would be the final year of Paul's contract? It doesn't contract? even feel like Oklahoma City wants anything back. It's just like, let's get a draft pick, maybe a young player, and, and you can have him because we just don't want to pay the contract. Yeah, I go back and forth because he just made second team All-NBA, so it feels like they would want right. something. Uh, but it's also hard to pinpoint a team that would give up something. The one team that I think should be willing to go whatever constitutes an all-in for Chris Paul. And I'm not saying that's multiple firsts and Dante DiVincenzo, but one, it would be Milwaukee for me. And Zach Lowe reported that there hasn't been traction on a deal between Milwaukee and Oklahoma City. And then The Athletic reported earlier into the offseason that the Bucks were not interested in a Chris Paul trade, namely because of the financial ramifications. And that's just inexcusable. It's going to play today. real well with Giannis, isn't it? Right. I, mean, I don't know how well it'll play. Some people think he's going to sign the Supermax. And if he does, you have him under lock and key for another you know six years in total uh he could request a trade later on but that might sort of diminish the urgency with which they can react to this year i i think you can argue that maybe drew holiday is a better fit just because he's younger if you want to make bradley beal would obviously be a better fit as well they just don't have the asset firepower to go after them maybe oladipo is more gettable for that but then you're dealing with his backfire Big right. Time. And if he's not one, if he's not as good, but then two, you have to pay him anyway. And no, he's not going to get Chris Paul money, but you are dealing with, you know, what do we pay him over the next three to five years then? But maybe that's a better problem to have because for Paul, you're, you're ostensibly saying like, we're going to get the next two years of Chris Paul and that's it. So I could understand why a little depot might be a little bit more attractive, but you need the asking price to be just right in that scenario. And so this is just me saying the bucks need to be hyper aggressive in going after another shot creator. And I think Chris I Paul... Just, I don't love the Oladipo fit in Milwaukee. I don't know if you feel differently, but like, I, I, I don't view him as a great off-ball weapon who's going to help space the court. Like He's been a mediocre three-point shooter at best. He, he is best with the ball in his hands. Like He would add a lot of defensive ability and secondary playmaking ability, but you, you ultimately want the ball in Giannis's hands. Right, and I, I think there's more he could do off the ball with the way Milwaukee plays, whereas in Indiana, it seems like there's always two non-shooters on the court. 
still he would he might be the funkiest fit because you could you run into similar issues with Drew Holiday. I think he's done more cutting and and is going to be better in that capacity. Bradley Beal and Chris Paul are like the most seamless fits, and because you don't have the asset equity to go after Beal, assuming he's even gettable. That's why Chris Paul is so attractive. And if I'm not saying they need to wind up with one of these four players, but if CP3 is gettable for, you know, if you don't have to give up George Hill, Brooke Lopez, Middleton, or Giannis, like get the deal done. Like if it's just really the salary filler route, get the deal done would be where I stand. I th- who I am, we already ranked it like most likely, at least like who aside from Beal gets the biggest return though. Is it Drew Holiday? Like that's the the player that's gonna command the, the biggest return on this market, not Beal. I think um, so. Yeah, aside from Beal. I, I think it has to be Holiday just because he's still in the back end of his prime, but in the prime nonetheless. He is such a seamless fit and such a highly respected competitor throughout the league. You know what you're gonna get. You know that you're gonna get a great locker room leader who is capable of contributing on both ends of the floor and numerous different roles there's just there isn't that level of uncertainty and I I kind of feel like Mike Conley was really bad news for Chris Paul's trade value just because teams are going to be looking at just how quickly aging point cards can fall off that cliff and even if he's coming off an all-NBA season he's 35 you know that he has he's got a lot of wear and tear from his many, many years in the NBA playing at a high level. And no matter how well he played this this last season and and really revitalized his reputation as an elite point guard, that drop-off really could come at any point in time, especially for a smaller point guard. I'm, I'm not saying that it will, just that that nagging thought is going to be in the back of minds coupled with the exorbitant salary that he's set to receive for the next two years. I just, I don't see him or Oladipo giving the injury concerns and the inevitability of needing a new contract reaching even close to what holiday would get. I'm, I'm pretty much with you there. There's look, the fact that he made second team all NBA, you could look at it in a vacuum, but I don't know who would be the most desperate team that and I think we know it would be the Knicks feel like they would be the team that would give up the most insofar as they want Chris Paul, which is, there's really no read on whether they do or not, but even their most you're not getting I mean, this would be franchise malpractice, but if you gave up Mitchell Robinson or RJ Barrett in that deal, like that would be franchise malpractice. So you're not getting one of them. And, you know, what is that like? Are the Mavericks first round picks like aren't aren't a ton? So I tend to lean towards holiday as well. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving. And that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Kind of with that said, this, this will shock you, but I have some holiday deals. I was going to throw at you for the who's no way. Yeah. Um, Do you like fake trades? I love fake trades. Uh, Are you sure? 
No, I'm actually not sure. Okay, but, I just and, wanted to make sure. And I feel like we've t- we've definitely talked CP3 deals on here too much, which is why we're not going through them. Beal, we've discussed tangentially, I think including on the last podcast. But like, it's just I can't bring myself to like really come up with a ton, no- knowing that I don't think he's going to be moved. Like my heart's just not in those. Is right. is basically where I'm at. Uh, so I'll start off here. We'll go just alphabetically. I'm not going through all three teams, but Atlanta. You're Atlanta Hawks. Now number six is not enough to get. Drew Holiday to me, but if you were going to go give up a, a one of your wings, my problem there then is I think that New Orleans needs to take back some more salary so that the Hawks aren't eating then into so much of their cap space. So my proposal would be uh, number six, Kevin Herter and Dwayne Dedman, who has one year left on his deal, the, the final one's not guaranteed, for Drew Holiday. Do you need more if you're, who says no to that? I think the Pelicans barely say no. I was going to suggest the number six pick, DeAndre Hunter and Dwayne Dedman for the salary filler. I think that's just slightly more appealing given the malleability of DeAndre Hunter coming off a an up-and-down rookie season. But that seems pretty fair for both sides. And if I'm the Hawks, I'm doing that in a heartbeat because Holiday, like if you're drawing up a player to share a backcourt with Trey Young, it looks like Holiday. Right. You know, a guy who's comfortable playing off the ball. He's, he's played off the ball alongside Lonzo ball. Um, I guess pun intended, maybe there, um, wow. you know, that, wow. you know, that he's a great defender. Um, you know, that he can create when Trey young is off the floor, which has been Atlanta's biggest issue. They just haven't had that backup point guard capable of even keeping the offense afloat without Trey's offensive ability. Um, so yeah, and we don't, we don't I, think it's Evan Turner. You know, it could be, I, I I refuse to rule that out just because I was once upon a time so high on Evan Turner, who is probably one of my biggest draft evaluations misses of all time. I, uh, I compared him to Dwayne Wade coming out of Ohio State before he broke his back. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it didn't. That, that hasn't aged well. I'll, uh, I'll admit to that. There's still time for him to go back to the Celtics and maybe make that age a little bit better. So stand tough. Stand tall. Okay. Stand strong. I'll try. I'll try. It's like how you're still picking the Nuggets to win this last year's title. Yeah, they're still my title pick for 2020. Yeah. Uh, I'm just curious how interested New Orleans would be in DeAndre Hunter, considering they already traded him. Uh, like, in Atlanta games. Oh, like, traded him. Right. Right. So, I can't see the air quotes if you're listening, but they're there. If, if I were them, I would prefer Herter, who's more plug-and-play on offense to me, and can probably, look, he's shown he can do some stuff off the dribble, or I prefer Cam Reddish. Yeah, I was going to say, like, they, they'd probably come back with the counter of asking for Reddish. And if you're Atlanta, you still do it. You still do it for Cam Reddish. Yeah, I think you still do. Just there are already reports that Atlanta is looking to shop the number six pick for a veteran. Holiday fits perfectly. As good as Reddish looked over the last 20 or so games of his rookie season, yeah, you make that move. What if it's now. What if it's like a a version of a future first round pick? Like, say this is happening after the draft. Would you give up a twenty twenty one draft pick for Drew Holiday with your number six pick this year? And if you are, what type of protections would you need to put on it if you're Atlanta? Um, yeah, I I think you still do just because of the holiday fit, but you're probably putting a top twenty or lottery oh, wow. protection on it. I would say that maybe top. If I'm New Orleans, I I would prefer one of the prospects then if they're only going to do lottery protected. I don't think if I don't think if you're Atlanta though you can justify doing more than like um, loosely you can't be looser than like top seven or eight protection just because of how ballyhooed the the draft class is but also like you need to safeguard yourself against disaster uh, just in case you don't make the playoffs. Look and ultimately we've seen this 
so many times now where if you have a marquee young star, and to be clear, Trey Young is a marquee young star, you have to win soon. Or else in this era of player empowerment and respect to the players for for creating this era of player empowerment, you've got to win or else they're going to ask for a trade and they're within their rights to do so. Yeah, I mean, their urgency, I would say, is not as high just because he's not even off his rookie scale deal yet. So you don't want to do anything that could short circuit yourself long term, particularly with this free agency class. But Drew Holiday doesn't fall into that. I guess you could be reticent about paying his next deal. But like, if you could get Drew Holiday, let's say it's whatever it is, whether he's opting in and extending or if it's just a full blown re signing, if you could get him, if it costs you a little over $100 million for the next four years of his career, I think I'm okay with it. And look, because he wouldn't have to carry uh, like so much of the burden on offense, you can bank on his off-ball defense probably being a lot better in Atlanta. And then he's always just been great on the ball. And so like you said, if you could build a player in a lab that would play next to Trey Young in the backcourt, it would look a lot like Drew Holiday. Maybe he'd be a little bit taller. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... You know, we've talked about how Atlanta is kind of trying to follow that Warriors East model and create like their Splash Brothers backcourt with Trey Young and Kevin Herter. I think I would rather have someone like Drew Holiday over someone like Clay Thompson alongside him just because of that secondary creation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you had that secondary creator already, then maybe a Clay Thompson just having more gives you more positionality on defense. And maybe not even. We've seen Drew Holiday defend Kevin Durant before. So the next team I have here, though, is the Brooklyn Nets. They, again, I, I feel like maybe this is being talked about enough now. They have a lot of trade assets that are palatable. In this scenario, though, I don't know how palatable they are because Jared Allen doesn't make sense when you have Jackson Hayes and even Zion Williamson. Like, that's just not a great fit uh, next to Zion. Karis LeVert, I... All right, let me ask you this question first. Would you give up Karis LeVert in a Drew Holiday trade? And LeVert yeah. is on a deal. He's younger. He's on three years, $52.5 million. Is I would just because of the fit. You know, Levert in in some ways is more of a, a luxury than a necessity um, just because you already have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant who can create all of the shots from all over the court at any time. And Levert has shown flashes of being a, a good three-point shooter. It's not his strong suit. He definitely prefers to create off the dribble, to take some long mid-range shots to attack the basket. He's shown signs of becoming a better facilitator, but you're essentially hoping that he can morph into a player who plays a whole lot like Drew Holiday. And we already know what Holiday can do. I just I think that Holiday is a far more seamless fit alongside two stars who have fairly similar, albeit far superior, skill sets to that of Levert. I'm with you. I think from I would give him up in a trade for Drew Holiday in a vacuum. It lowers what I'm giving up though to finish the rest of that deal. Um, but for New Orleans, I question his fit next to a Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson because for the Agreed. past for the past two seasons, he shot better on off the dribble threes than catch and shoot threes. And I do think he's talented enough to get better. But now you're adding that level of combustibility where Drew Holiday is better off the ball. Yes, Levert's cheap enough, but how great is the fit with, I would say, your two most important building blocks moving forward? And then you throw Lonzo Ball into that equation. And so I'm almost wondering if, here would be my Levert deal if I'm Brooklyn. So I'll throw this out there. It'd be Levert, uh, number 19, and Torian Prince. Does that get it done for you? No, I don't think so. I think you need Dinwiddie included. I wouldn't give up both Dinwiddie and Levert for Drew Holiday. With him approaching free agency, if I was Brooklyn, I couldn't do it. I would do... Now, if you could do – I actually think Dinwiddie's a better fit for New Orleans. Um, granted, he's older, but I still think like he's going to uh, 
he mirrors the secondary creation you're going to get from Levert anyway, and there's a chance that he might be cheaper than him moving forward. He has a player option for $12.3 million in the summer of 2021. If you're trying to load up like on assets here, I'd be curious if New Orleans would do Dinwiddie, Kurutz, Torian Prince, number 19, and then like a distant Nets first-round pick. Like Let's say a t- if the Nets were willing to throw their 2022 or 2023 pick into play unprotected would you do that or maybe it's even let's let's cut out this year's first like let's say new orleans doesn't want it if it's dinwiddie prince kurutz the nets is 2021 pick unprotected and then 2023 pick let's say top five protection is that a deal that interests you if you're new orleans i'm still on the fence about it i i have trouble just because you know as you mentioned lavert isn't an ideal fit with the pelicans i'm not sure that dinwiddie is either because of his age um, and Jared Allen isn't super ideal either because, you know, and I'm, I'm a huge believer in Jackson Hayes. I think as, as you know, I, I'm not sure that without two of the three, it gets done. What two of the three being Allen being one of the third Allen Dinwiddie and, and Levert. The problem is, is that I would give Allen up in either with Levert or Dinwiddie, but I just don't see his value to new Orleans. So now you get to a point. Can you send him to a third team that would then send like a first round pick or another prospect? That's kind of what I wonder here is I I feel like just given the, the talent overlap between these two franchises and how they could value their own players differently. It it feels like this is a, a three team situation. If holiday is to end up in Brooklyn, I'm just, I'm not sure I see a realistic way to bridge the gap between just the two sides. Okay, so I'll throw this out there. This and this actually just came to me. Dinwiddie, um, number nineteen, and Brooklyn's twenty twenty one first unprotected, and Miles Bridges to New Orleans, Jared Allen to Charlotte, and I, there might need to be another salary in there for to make it. And Kurutz to New Orleans to go there too. Do you need another first round pick if you're New Orleans as part of that deal? I'm so good with this deal. I love that. I love that. Bridges Bridges feels like a great fit next to Zion and Brandon Ingram, just kind of filling in all the cracks. And I, I would love to see Jared Allen just explode in Charlotte. So we've landed – and look, they have Cody Zeller there, but he'll be on an expiring deal. And Allen is definitely has the higher ceiling as a, a defender. And he did shoot threes for like a second in Brooklyn. So that final deal was Jared Allen to Charlotte, Drew Holiday to Brooklyn, Torian Prince, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kurutz, number 19, a 2021 first, and Miles Bridges to New Orleans. I don't even know if you need Kurutz as part of that deal at that point. I think because you're not getting Levert, maybe. And Torian Prince is a net negative on his contract. He's good salary matching, but two years and basically $25.3 million is not great value for Torian Prince. Do you, do you want to call Michael Jordan or should I? You could try it. I'd be curious. Charlotte definitely does straight up. I don't know if the money works where i need to look at alan's salary here oh it does work would you do alan for miles bridges straight up if you're charlotte i think so i think i would too yeah i mean it, it, he he fits so perfectly with what that team likes to do on defense and just the glaring need for a center i mean we're going to talk about what they they want to do with their number three pick during the mailbag portion of this episode and you know you're hoping that whoever they draft there turns into jared allen that's a fair point i mean i <sighs> Some people think James Wiseman is going to be really good. I'm just, I'm, 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 first of all, I won't give any hot takes on draft prospects anymore. Ever since I said Kawhi Leonard was going to be a bust, like I'm just, I'm out, I'm out on that. I just don't, I don't know. I don't have a feel for anything in this draft. There are like two, like I'll zero in on guys that'll probably fall like outside the top five. I think are going to be really good, but that's also like a coward's thing to do just because there's, it's so combustible near the top. 
this year. The next team I want to get to, and I think we'll probably start blowing through these quicker. Does Dallas have the assets to get Drew Holiday? No. You don't think they have Hardaway's expiring deal, and if you included pick number 18 and you have Jalen Brunson? No. no. Okay, fair, <laughs> fair enough. I was just curious. They might be a sneaky team for Oladipo then. They don't want to screw over their cap space. That if, would be far more realistic. But, like, as you mentioned, like, we're talking about their best realistic trade assets because they're not trading Kristaps or, or Doncic. Right. And so then like, you're looking Tim Hardaway at Tim Hardaway Jr.'s expiring deal, the number 18 pick in a weak, lackluster draft. Jalen Brunson. Like, I, so no, I no. like Jalen Brunson. And what they could do is throw in, like, a Maxi Kleba or a Seth Curry. But then it almost feels like those two are great fits for New Orleans, by the way. But then it almost feels like how much better is Dallas after that? So, but I do think that they could get closer than you're giving them credit for if Kleba and Curry are on the table, but that might rest on, you know, does New Orleans want to stay good while trading holiday? We don't really know. Right. Um, that might be a package. Maybe that gets you Oladipo. I don't know that I'd give up. Would you give up both? Would you give up two of Curry, Kleba and Hardaway for Oladipo? Yeah, I think so. It's a, it's a good risk to take given where Dallas is at right now. I think I'm with you. It's just both of their contracts and particularly Curry's is just so nice that, um, but yeah, so Denver, I think is a team that's most popular with Drew Holiday. And the question everyone's asking, would you give up Michael Porter Jr. for Drew Holiday? In a heartbeat. I I'm mean, actually shocked that you said that. Look, Michael Porter Jr. has shown so much offensive flammability. He, his, his 6'10 frame, his shooting ability, his feel for the offensive game, they're all remarkably advanced, as we saw during the bubble experience and in a couple of postseason games, where he can legitimately take over a game on offense for a little bit. He also doesn't even seem to understand that playing defense is necessary. He's not a good playmaker. And ultimately, like this is a team that should want to be winning right exactly now. With Jamal Murray on the roster, with Nikola Jokic running the show, for so much of the half court experience, you know, Porter is more of a luxury item than a necessity, a phrase that I've already used once, but you know, he, his skills are not necessarily exactly what's needed for this Denver team. It's great to have. It's, it's fantastic when your third best player on a good night is going to be able to win a postseason contest for you, but you don't need him. You need someone like Holiday if if you really want to open up that championship window. Now Denver has has struggled to play quality perimeter defense, um, even when Gary Harris and Will Barton are healthy, um, and, and Holiday helps fix that. He helps give you another way of attacking while keeping everyone else involved, which is something that Porter has struggled with because he does not look to pass. This isn't a knock against Porter's talent; it's just a fit thing. So if, if you have to give up him and Gary Harris or Will Barton, you do it. I'd be curious if that deal can get done then without Gary Harris, if you're giving up Porter, who Gary Harris has been, I don't want to say a disaster on offense, so let's use the word seesaw inconsistent, however you want to spin it. I wouldn't be against giving up Michael Porter Jr. if I'm New Orleans, uh, Denver. I'm. What I'd be curious, though, is if you can do that, is there a way to expand the deal so that Denver's getting a little more out of it since they are taking a risk with Holiday coming close to free agency and just being older. And so like, let's use this framework. Let's say it's bowl bowl number 22, Michael Porter jr. And Harris. And that gets you to the holiday money. I believe depending on the timing of the trade would new Orleans 
Like in that scenario, are you willing to give them number 13? Are you willing to wipe off number 22? Or if I'm Denver or something I'm interested in, are you willing to give them swap rights on LA's like 2023 first? Or even yeah, LA's, they have LA's 2021 pick protected eight to 30. It's really an unprotected pick in, in 2022, the way that it's structured. Uh, I, now, if I'm Denver, I do that. I want to be clear. If you can get. Yeah, you, you do that if you're Denver. I don't know about New Orleans just because I'm not entirely sure that Porter is the best fit in New Orleans either. Defensively, Brandon Ingram no. there. I actually think because he's played so well off the ball, he's a much better fit than a Levert. Um, so putting him next to Lonzo Ball, Zion, and Ingram offensively feels like you could hum. The defense is where I'd get concerned because yeah. if you're going to have. You're going to put a lot of pressure on Ingram and Zion there. Right. And so I think I'd be more apt to being like, okay, Denver can keep Bobo or number 22. We're not giving you a Lakers pick in that scenario, let alone our yeah, own pick this year. I Although, agree. actually, I don't know. I might not be. I might not care too much about giving up the number 13 pick in this draft. I think if I'm Denver, though, I'm, I'm trying to get Josh Hart back in that deal also. Maybe that's the – I don't know what else you have to give up, though. Like, if I'm New Orleans, I might balk at – Josh Hart, to me, would be more valuable than this year's number 13 pick, this Agreed. year's number 22 pick. So I would Agreed. just counter being like, you know what, you can keep Bo Ball or the number 22, and we're going to keep Josh Hart. Uh, I, I, I don't know what else Denver would have to – like, if you threw in – maybe if Denver threw in a distant first, so, like, you're moving into advance where we're talking, you know, 20 um, – let's say they're moving their pick after this year's draft to get around the – the Stepien rule for them. Um, do you give up the 2020, a 2021 pick or a 2022 pick to get Josh Hart while you're giving up Michael Porter Jr.? I don't know. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager on than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division odds, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Can I also just say that I don't like the Stepien rule, and I think we should get rid of it? Um, I'm going to say like it was it was essentially put in place to protect franchises, right? Because Stepien with the Wizards traded away every first round pick he had ad, ad infinitum, and it didn't work out, and the franchise tanked. Okay, so like teams already tank intentionally. I would rather them have all of the assets they can to trade, especially knowing that the NBA does best when trade rumors are all over the place. And if you allow more teams to have more high-level assets to trade and to get involved in trade discussions, I think that benefits the league. And like, okay, like a team bottoms out because it's poorly managed. Who gives a shit? Like it, it, it did it to itself. It can recover down the road. It can make changes to the front office and avoid similar situations. Like I, I, don't, I feel like that's just too much policing from the league. And I'm going to stop because I feel like Jeff Van Gundy right now. If you're going to get rid of the Stepien rule, I think you have to then make a more finite window of how far out you can trade a draft pick. Like maybe it's five years or something, because I think where you run into problems is there are enough ways around the Stepien rule that I actually don't really think that it prevents teams from, I mean, let's just look at the Rockets. 
basically under Daryl Morey. So it doesn't really prevent you from trading consecutive first. It's just really all about timing with it. And I would be what you could want. But it does. It does. Because like if somebody really wants to get you a holiday right now, they can't offer two back-to-back first-round picks, even though that would be really appealing. But So the misses then, though, you get to a point where like now you've given up those assets and you don't have the way to improve, whereas, yeah, this might force just a little more patience. Like I said, I wouldn't be against it, and I get to your point where maybe rumors run more wild then, but then you also get to a point where there are going to be certain teams that trade away so many assets, they hamstring themselves. Uh, whereas, it, look, it's even now. What the stepping rule does, too, is discourage teams from trading too far out because you want to have the flexibility to work with the timing. So if you give up like the Lakers have like that 2022 pick, uh, what that's basically what it is a 20 where it's 2021, but it could spill over to 2022. And now you've traded 2024 or 2025 as well. It's, it makes it harder for you to complete moves. And I feel like I, I feel like that those situations are prevented by the Stepien rule. You, you give more team teams bites at the trade Apple with it being implemented would be. See, and I, I totally, I totally get that. But I, I guess it's the same rule that in like fantasy leagues, I hate trade vetoes unless there's obvious collusion going on. Like if an if a, if an owner or a, a general manager is comfortable taking that risk and it doesn't work, like that's on them. Like I, I just I don't know that putting those restrictions in place is really that beneficial. That like, is, yeah, it prevents teams from shooting themselves in the foot. But, like, shouldn't they be allowed to sometimes? That's a very callous way of looking at it. I'm not as opposed to the stepping rule just because teams get around it anyway, and I think that's actually better for transaction volume because at some point then I feel like you're going to have teams run out of first-round picks to trade. I I think it's better for transaction volume. I think it's worse for transaction possibilities. Okay. And I think that the NBA should care more about the discussions about trades and the actual number of trades that happen because the NBA has, has developed into this 24, seven, 365 league, not because there are games happening at all times, but because there is a large swath of fans who care more about the off season and about the drama and about the potential moves than the actual on court play. And they're not right or wrong. There are different ways to, to watch and to follow every sport. But I think that you promote that, and you build upon that and you attract a whole new group of of devoted, passionate fans if you continue to increase the possibilities of movement. It's an interesting discussion that I did not expect to have on this podcast. But that would be, if people are listening, Paul, let us know if you think the Stepien rule is outdated or pointless and, and agree with, with Adam here. So in the interest of us being able to get to the mailbag, I'll blow through just a couple of the, the frameworks. I won't go into the actual deals I've written down. Now, teams that I think will be interested but won't have the firepower, Lakers and Clippers, I just can't see a path to them getting a deal. The Clippers, to me, could maybe get closer because Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Landry Shamit, a first-round pick in 2035 or like whatever. they I don't even know if they can legally trade a first-round pick right now. I feel like they could probably get closer than the Lakers. They should be able to. Um, and they, they can't legally trade a first-round pick right now. <laughs> They've traded a first. Wow! Round. Imagine the possibilities if they could. They Think could trade conversations that we could have. They could trade. No, okay, that's a good conversation. They could trade twenty twenty seven. That's it. If there was no Stepien rule, well, that's actually not true because they could trade back to backs. You're right. You're right. Uh, still, anyway, uh, they. I think they. Now, get- now we would like to pull people on their support for the Stepien rule. Yeah, uh, Clippers fans, how do you feel about the Stepien rule? 
uh, I don't think either one of them can get close. The Clippers could still get closer to me, even with the absence of an actual concrete first to trade. Uh, the Lakers have Kuzma in this year's first that they could dangle, really, in salary filler. I don't really know how they get there. Miami's interesting, but I think they only come... I, one, don't think you give up Tyler Hero in such a deal. And two, I think they only get involved, and we're talking about Duncan Robinson and then probably a distant first as the framework. I think that's only a possibility if Giannis signs his Supermax. Yeah, they're, they're, too, they're too far into the prioritization of 2021 cap space unless the primary prize is already off the market. I don't think Philly can get there. He's also not a fantastic off-ball fit, even though I think he brings ball handling, which, which they could certainly use. Um, but even just, you can't trade Harris or Horford as part of that deal. And then Josh Richardson, and you could step ladder yourself to the salary filler, but how many firsts is that going to take from there? So I, w- I would write them off. I would love to see him in Toronto, but they just, they're not giving up OG Ananobi in that deal. And their salary filler is also weird because you're not going to want to give away Kyle Lowry and you're definitely not trading Siakam. The two teams that I would be interested in, and it's both built around draft picks. If you're the Warriors, are you giving up number two for Drew Holiday? In a heartbeat. Now, the problem is that it, he doesn't fall into the trade exception. So now you're in this scenario where you have to give up Andrew Wiggins because it's not going to be Draymond Green or, or Clay thompson sorry did you did you mean to say you have to give up andrew wiggins or you get to give well, up Andrew? Wiggins? yeah right so now the pelicans have to take on andrew there wiggins. we go and i think the deal that's been floated around is would both these sides do it let's say it's looney wiggins um looney wiggins number two and then next year's minnesota pick for reddick and holiday i didn't run the numbers on this you might need another salary in there if you're going state but that would be the framework which which team is doing that? Are both of them doing that? Or I think both of them are doing that. Yeah, I mean, Golden State can afford to lose a deal and still win, if that makes sense. Like <laughs> where they're, they're giving up more talent, more assets in a trade because their window is exactly now. Right. Like, you don't know how Draymond Green in particular is going to continue to age. He did not look like the Draymond Green of the dynastic Golden State Warriors during this past season. Maybe that was just due to a lack of motivation on a team that was clearly going nowhere. But like, you need to win right now. And look, if, by the way, if you trade the number two pick as an actual salary, uh, you can do number two next year's Minnesota pick plus Wiggins will get you both Holiday and Redick. Now, if New Orleans said, look, you're now paying Andrew Wiggins and, and Brandon Ingram, who are not the best of fits together, max money for Andrew Wiggins has three years left on his deal. I'm probably asking for Golden State's 2021 pick in that scenario. Are you doing that then where now we're amounting to three first round picks plus Andrew Wiggins for Drew Holiday and JJ Redick, both of whom could be free agents in 2021? I think that's where it starts to, to sow some doubt in Golden State's mind. I can still justify doing it, I think, especially just knowing that if all goes according to plan, which you have to believe that it will if you're making this move, you're looking at the 28 pick, the 29 pick, the 30 pick, and it's not really a first rounder. I think I'm with you there. I still don't know. I feel like I hate it for both sides when Warriors are giving up both picks and the Pelicans are getting back Andrew Wiggins. And that's why there just might not be a fit there. My final one. The Timberwolves, you can use, if you want to use the number one pick as a salary, and we're trying to go bare bones here, you can go James Johnson and number one for Drew Holiday. You go James Johnson, Jake Lehman, and number one for Drew Holiday if you want to complete it on the draft. My questions to you are twofold. 
are you doing that if you're the Timberwolves, where you're giving up the number one pick for Drew Holiday, knowing he could be, you're going to have to re-sign him either, you know, in one summer from now or two. I say summer, one off season from now or, or two. And then the second question would be, are you doing this deal if you're New Orleans or because of the uncertainty at the top of the draft and where you're thinking like, I mean, James Wiseman next to Zion, does that work? Melo Ball next to Lonzo Ball, does that make sense? Um, do you need like another first? Do you need a Josh Akogi in this to make the deal? LeVar Ball is doing that deal immediately, to be clear. I don't but know if he wants he is... both his sons in New Orleans. I'm not sure. I'd be curious. That's not a diss against New Orleans. I think he wants them both in New York or Los Angeles or Chicago or some stuff. Or next to Zion, where they're going to continue to get national attention all the time. All right, well. well what but would... To answer your question, I think I think Akogi is needed. Or Jarrett Culver or another pick. I think you would have to go with the... if I'm. The Timberwolves, you'd have to. I can't trade another first round pick that far out. If I'm them, I would insist upon. Would you give up Culver and number one if it meant get, getting back Drew Holiday? Yeah, I, I would. Wow. And in some in some ways, like okay, this is this is going to sound weird, but I I think in some ways, like the second and third pick in this draft might be more valuable than the number one pick, even if you don't get to control who you're taking because a prospect or two is already off the board. Like there's so much uncertainty in this class that paying them marginally less on that rookie scale might matter. Uh, yeah, you know what would be funny is if the Pelicans did what they essentially did with the Lakers pick last year. So they acquire number four, but then they flipped that. Like, did they turn around and then trade down with the number one pick again? That might be something yeah. that they could explore. Absolutely. Are you ready to get to some of these mailbag questions? We commandeered this podcast on our behalf, but we will we will trundle along through these mailbag questions because we have a bunch of good ones. Uh, Uno Mas asks, Giannis three-peat MVP? Voter oh. fatigue is gonna set in. Voter fatigue is gonna set in for sure. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no, just because I think at this point the narrative, which is always important in MVP voting for better or for worse, is that Giannis was the best player in the regular season for the last two years and failed to live up to those standards during the playoffs. So unless he does something remarkably unprecedented during the 2020-2021 regular season, the juice will not be there for him to get the necessary votes. I'm going to pick Doncic right now. We have to make picks right now. I will say Giannis won't win, and it's for all the reasons you said. It's not even just voter fatigue. I think because of the Bucks' problematic playoff runs that he's going to get dinged for that, which I actually don't think is is unfair. If I had to pick an MVP Right now, I almost felt like this might have been this might be the upcoming year where LeBron gets sort of that. Does he necessarily deserve it? And you could always argue in favor of him, but it's it's like that career achievement award where what he just did in the playoffs. I don't think he's going to ultimately play enough games. I was going to say it's going to be real hard to win that MVP when he sits out for the first month. I think so. Right now, the names I would zero in on are, and I'm looking, I'm trying to figure out who's going to play enough games to do it. I'm leaning towards Stephen Curry, James Harden, or Doncic would be my early top three. I have Jokic in there too. Clearly, I'm all over the place. Anthony Davis. Trey Young. No, definitely not. Um, Nitilakina. But I, I think we're in agreement that, well, yeah, Frank Nitilakina is going to win MVP. It's just a matter of how many. Anthony Bellino asks, what are my Pistons going to do to get back into the top four of the East? Can I, can I hijack this one? I mean, are you going to say they're not? I'm going to say that hopefully they're not trying to get back in the top four of the East next season. Okay, fair. Their, their quickest path to get back into the top four of the East is to enter a rebuild and then get there gradually. Because I don't know that they have a move in them where they can make an... Like, if you could get Bradley Beal, I don't even know if he gets you to the top four of the East because you're 
now tethered to the health of Blake Griffin because Bradley Beal we've seen does not give you a playoff berth on his own. And if you're getting him, you've traded away this year's pick. You've traded away Sekou. You've probably traded away Luke Kennard as well. So I don't. I, I do think, and Lazarus Jackson mentioned this to me on the Pistons look ahead, that they're actually rebuilding. And so I think they're far more likely to steer into a bottom three finish in the East next season than they are to try to re-enter the playoff picture. Yeah, I mean, the best thing that they can do, for lack of a better term, is trust the process. Like, this is a roster that is completely devoid of hope with the current pieces. You know, they they need to move Blake Griffin if they can. They need to move Derrick Rose if they can. They should try to re-sign Christian Wood, even if the price rises pretty high based on what we saw at the tail end of this last season. But beyond that, like, there is not a great long-term player on this roster. And we even have questions about Christian Wood because of the lack of sample size. So... You need to you need to be bad, like really bad before you get good here. And if you want to doom yourself to the mediocrity treadmill, then the answer to the question is check back in a decade. Now, if they did nothing this offseason, let's say they re-sign Christian Wood, they don't trade Blake Griffin, they don't trade Derrick Rose, and they're using their cap space not on Fred Van Fleet, but on just one-year deals. If everything hits, you're, you're keeping Luke Kennard. There's a chance that they could sneak into the final playoff spot in the East. Right, you're a first round. You're, you're going to be a first round exit there. Right, and so I think they're in this weird position where they actively need to deconstruct some of their roster if they want to get like legitimately bad. Unless you're just not going to play Blake Griffin if he's healthy, because look, the last time Blake Griffin was healthy, he made an All NBA team. I'm not saying that's going to happen again, look, but if he is healthy, your team's going to be not terrible. I have nothing against the Pistons as an organization or their fans, but they are in the absolute worst possible spot to be in the NBA right now, where with their current pieces, they're going to be good enough to convince themselves that they can get into the playoffs, but that's their ceiling. Yeah, I think you could argue between them, Charlotte, and the Knicks being in the worst long-term position in the NBA. I, I would like to amend that statement. Like, I think that the title or failure conversation that we so often have is a little bit corrosive and less than ideal. So if if the Pistons really do want to compete for a playoff spot and they, their fans get to be excited about being in the playoffs, power to them, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But through the lens of wanting to be a top-four team or a championship contender, they are in the worst possible spot. Next question comes from longtime listener Miroslav Shuk asks, how many All-Stars will change teams before the season starts? Let's set up. I'm going to give you an over under on this, three point five. Under. Really? Yeah. What I think two okay, of those. So we're we're talking about this past year's All Stars, right? Uh, no. Just well, I think t- players that you can envision making an All Star appearance. <sighs> I, okay, so Chris Paul. Chris Paul is the obvious one. I would say one of Drew Holiday or Oladipo. So that feels like two. So that's two. Where's your third name? Like, Aaron Gordon doesn't qualify. What about Gordon Hayward? Is he really, like, still an all-star? Or, I mean, that was his all-star appearances were a while ago at this point. What about... Maybe Mar- DeMar DeRozan? That's a good one. Or LaMarcus Aldridge? Or, or both. LaMarcus Aldridge. Brandon Ingram's not moving. Anthony Davis isn't moving. And beyond that, there are no all-stars in this free agency class. So what? you're stuck on, trade, on trades here. Well, okay, so would you... So I have a few names to then throw out at you. Would you consider Al Horford or Tobias Harris of that ilk at all? Not anymore. 
feels like a little bit low on Tobias Harris, but I think also fair enough. He wasn't an all-star beforehand. Yeah, he's so. never been an all-star. He did nearly come close in the West, though. Like, that was an all-star caliber season he was having before a trade deadline. Yeah, he had one fantastic year, or fantastic half year. Wow. Just really, uh, Mike Mike Conley in a CP3 for a Conley swap? I don't think he's going anywhere, so that's, no. that's probably moot. I don't think Portland's going to end up trading McCollum. Maybe... <laughs> 3.5. I'm going to be optimistic. That was, that was aggressive. The line should have been 2.5. I would take the over on both because if we're including DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, I'm going to be optimistic about transaction. Yeah, I, just, I can't see the Spurs in what could be Popovich's final season trading their best players. What, okay, so what about wouldn't a Sabonis or a Miles Turner fall under this too? Sabonis would. I'm not sure about Miles Turner. I like Miles Turner longer term than Sabonis, so maybe that's in my own head. So let's go 2.5. Or do you want to say three so that there could be a push? We'll split the difference. I mean, I'm still going to go with two. All right, so we'll take two. I, just, so, I don't think we're going to see a lot of movement this year. All right, 2.5. I'm taking the over. Adam's taking the under. Circle, yeah. c- circle back for your well-actualized people because they will – they will be present when, when the time is right. I, I can't believe you're taking me under on 2.5 when we just said probably two of Oladipo, Holiday, and CP3 get moved. I just don't see any others. Man, you're a hater. This comes from the official Aaron Baines fan club Twitter account. What does Aaron Baines need to do next season to become the career leader in both value over replacement player, VORP, or box plus minus BPM? Just keep being Aaron Baines. That was actually a response. ATG34 nice. said, just be himself. He is the greatest player in the league. After Damn, all. I just exposed my burner, didn't I? That is like a very like niche fan base, Aaron Baines. Fan yeah, it is. Of. Very popular is one too. Very, very vociferous. Uh, a serious question though here from Joe Schlmo. Can you guys take over? Oh, this is. <laughs> can you guys take over national and state polling for 2022 and 2024? I mean, I'm game if you are. I'm not because that is a miserable job. I mean, the the pollsters, the leading the leading pollsters out there have done everything they can to uh, to account for the failures of 2016 polling by weighing different demographics differently and you know trying to adjust and trying to find you know the shy voters out there and everything it's an impossible job and it's made even more difficult by the dizzying number of american voters who don't understand what probabilities mean which is a little bit frustrating but yeah i mean like nate silver talked about this throughout Tuesday night, and I think in part because he was trying to defend the model failing yet again, it's really hard to get polls done in election seasons now because, you know, you you you're, you try to get a thousand people and eight of them respond to you and you don't know if they're lying. It's just, it is a thankless and incredibly difficult job. And I, I feel like a lot of the discussion about politics over the next four years is going to be about how we can remedy that if we even can. I would say we could address polling by banning polling. We'll just be aware. And look, the other thing, I can't even remember if you mentioned this at the top, would be the people that they're reaching for these polls, like in how they're reaching them by like phone in the middle of like a work day or something like is. Well, there, there are various different styles of polling. There's the live caller. There's the landline only. There's the online polling. There, there are so many different varieties, but none of them are, are sound. Exit polling is definitely not sound. Yeah, let's ignore that for sure. Uh, Nick Conran asks, this is the serious question, what percentage of shots does Siakam take off a of spin move? Now, I'm assuming you didn't research this like I did. I did. I did. did. Okay. Yeah, it's 82.3%. Okay, so you did not. Uh, whenever you make up a stat, you know that you use 82.3%. 82.3% of the time. 
<laughs> so there wasn't anything on like actual spin shots broken down in the tracking data. So I looked at his turnaround shots, which in theory, even though those could come from post-ups, he took a lot of those on his spins. So he had 121 of those. If you remove that, or if you just measure that against his share of field goal attempts, which were 1,104, it's 10.9%, closer to 11%. So I'm just going to say he takes close to 11 to 15%. I'm going to throw in you know, a cushion there of his shots off of spin moves. 82.3. That is not, I mean, if you, 82.3 of his shots may not come off spin moves, so maybe you're closer there. I mean, it seemed that way against Boston in particular, where they were just so ready for it, and it felt like he spun directly into an on an awaiting defender just time after time. He was just a klutz in traffic, that series, yeah, especially at the end of it. Not this great. one comes from Vermillion. What pieces do the Dallas Mavericks need to become title contenders? I would argue against them needing pieces, plural. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I was going, too. Like, I think that you need... I'm not. I'm not really sure. Like, what they need to add. I, I are they already title contenders with the roster as currently constructed? I mean, Rick no. Carlisle on the sideline is going to make sure that you have a high floor from everyone on the roster. Doncic is going to keep getting better. Kristaps, when he was healthy, was phenomenal. Next to Doncic, Tim Hardaway Jr., Courtney Lee, Seth Curry, you've got the shooters. I mean, what if what if Dwight Powell had stayed healthy all season? Like, I think that this is a team that's uh, maybe maybe as currently constructed, they're like a fringe title contender, if we're being generous. Yeah, I mean, Courtney Lee's not going to be there next year anyway, and I don't know like how much you can count on from... like so, like DeLon Wright's a good player, but I don't know if he's actually like the best fit for the Mavericks. I think they're... I've, I've said this before. I think they're like a half a player away from title contention where I don't think you need to go out and get another star because you could probably still count on Kristaps to play maybe 50 games a season, but you need the in-between player. And if I were them, and this might be unpopular because they're slated to have cap space in 2021 and even to sign Giannis there, they would still need to make like another move to clear salary. If you already need to do that, like try going all in on this off season. Like, is there a sign and trade to be had for, for Gallo or Fred Van Fleet, if you're just interested in someone who's also going to play defense. If you can get that extra shot creator this summer, I think you do vault up into that title contender yeah. discussion, or at least incredibly close to it. I don't think, maybe the best way to frame it then, though, is like, I don't think they need an actual all-star, but they do need someone who won. They, they just need more shot creation in general. It would help if he's someone who could get stops, but I think the more important thing is like, you kind of need that player who can soften the blow of how much time it feels like Kristaps Porzingis is going to miss throughout his career. Which it does seem inevitable that he'll continue to miss time. And then so look, yeah, if I, I like, I like how you put it that they're like a half piece away. And if you're worried about cap space in 2021, if Giannis wants to go to Dallas, they will find a way to make it happen. I don't think a sign and trade with Fred Van Fleet. And I'm not saying Toronto would entertain it. Um, if they're getting a first round pick and Jalen Brunson back, I, I don't know, maybe if they don't want to pay Van Fleet, um, but if it's Gallo, you you think OKC would certainly be open to that. And that's assuming maybe he signs for the mid-level anyway. Who knows? You can find a way to move other salary if you need to. Like if Giannis wants to come to Dallas, Giannis will go to Dallas. Whether you have near max space, actual max space, no space at all. It'll, it'll and happen. And if they're pursuing him and he doesn't sign, then Mark Cuban will just say that they had other priorities. Moving right along. The Dwight Howard throwback reference. You like that one? Darren Williams, didn't he say that for him too or no? I don't remember if he said it for a D-Will. It's, 
I think all the players they've been most heavily linked to that they missed out on, it's probably good for their long-term vitals that they missed out on signing them. Yeah. Like DeAndre the first time, maybe that's the one that you regret, but like Dwight, Darren Williams, I'm trying to think. They were never really like heavily linked to LeBron or, or Jimmy Butler or Kawhi. Just move for thought. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think back. Yeah, I mean the Dwight Howard is the big one. The last question comes from the NBA Chicken. With all the changes off the court for the Sixers, what roster changes could happen to fit the new management along with possible offensive scheme changes? Can I um, can I swing at the yeah, low-hanging fruit one? Absolutely. They were fifth in mid-range frequency. This past season, that is not happening again next season. I don't think Daryl Moore is going to try and have them shoot 53s a game, but you're not going to see that. Thir- almost 34% of their shots came from mid-range. Only the Pacers, Thunder, Warriors, and San Antonio took a higher share of their shots from mid-range. Philly is going to be noticeably lower on that ladder next season. Look, I mean, ultimately, you need more shooters and you need more ball handlers. That's what it comes down to. That's what Philly's obvious weaknesses were this year. And if you're going to continue to roll out Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, which you should, you need those players because Simmons is not going to shoot, but he is phenomenal at setting up other shooters, which they just didn't have. That, I mean, it, I think it's as simple as that. We, we talked about on the Daryl Morey episode how you know there he has this, this reputation as a guy who, you know, an analytics devotee who wants to take all shots at the rim and from three-point range. And and while that might be his preference, he also caters to the desires and style of his star players while trying to acquire more star players. So this roster needs more shooters and needs more ball handlers. You know, they they went out and they tried to to address that by getting Alec Burks, by by making a couple other fringe moves, by elevating Shake Milton into the starting lineup. Just get better versions of those guys. And the problem is, though, they only have the mini MLE, and maybe that goes further than it would in normal seasons, but you might need to use that to keep Burks, who I'd argue is probably essential to this roster now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where the moves are staring them in the face if you're looking for, like, higher-end options. The James Harden deal, if it ever happens, I doubt it happens this season, and you have to assume that Tillman Fertitta would want to do business with the Sixers after, you know, Daryl Morey said he wanted to leave to spend time with his family, even though there was probably an element, perhaps, of him being forced out of Houston, but then ends up with the Sixers two weeks later. And that was a more mutual split than the circumstances made it seem, then perhaps. And also, look, Raphael Stone worked with Daryl Morey, so perhaps yep. there's that relationship there. Uh, but, like, I think their best path, if you're looking again for, like, a higher-end solution, can you latch on to, like, any of these deals as a third team? where maybe like there's outgoing pieces involved that don't make sense for like one of the two primary teams. Let's use the Nets and the, the Pelicans, for example. Like maybe Dinwiddie doesn't make that much sense for the Pelicans long term. Can Philadelphia involve itself in that deal? He'd be send- a fantastic fit. Right. Um the question is then though, is Brooklyn willing to send him to Philly even as part of a three team deal when they play in the, you know, the same conference. They're yeah. ostensibly like jockeying for the same position. And then look, if you're Philly, even if you're going after Dinwiddie, you have to Yo, I don't know if Josh Richardson and then first is enough to get him in a third team deal. I guess if you're New Orleans, that Josh Richardson's a great fit in in New Orleans. Doesn't provide a, a ton of ball handling, but you don't necessarily need that. You just need stoppers. So that's that's someone a name that springs to mind. But I don't know when you have two contending rivals 
at least in theory, in the same conference. I don't know how willing they'd be to do each other a solid. Like, yeah, for Philly, Dinwiddie would be great, but do you also want to help the Nets get Drew Holiday? Right. And that does make everything a little bit more tricky. But, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I, I guess I just remain pretty bullish on the 76ers as currently constructed. No, you can't. I, Come on. I do. I do. I think that they they are just one or two moves and and better leadership away from figuring things out. Like, the, the Simmons... The Simmons and Bede partnership has had diminishing returns, but they had to diminish from something. Like this, that pairing now three seasons ago was incredible. They, those players have only gotten better since then. It's just it's a matter of of managing to maximize those talents. They made we know they made a big mistake by letting Jimmy Butler go, by letting JJ Reddick go. And you're not going to find players of that ilk this offseason. But the formula is still there. Here's my issue with that take, is that it's great that they're one or two moves away, but when you say that as a team that's slated to have basically at least $150 million payroll next season. Right, so right. to get those, to make those one or two moves is verging on impossible now, and that's why I'm so, I feel like they do need something more major than just soldiering on. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think that major is let's move Simmons or Embiid. That definitely becomes a topic next offseason if this upcoming season ends in disappointment again. But I, I kind of diverge from the fact that like, I'm not bullish on this roster at all as currently constructed. Like, they need another higher-end ball handler and shooter, and, like, you just don't necessarily have... Even if you might have the residual asset equity, just looking at first, you just... The, the contracts that you would have to move, probably Al Horford or Tobias Harris, are just so tough to move that maybe you're looking at a solution of... If it's Buddy Healed, yeah, sure. Like, if that deal is actually doable, the one that's been floated, a Horford for Healed framework... So, that would be great. I don't know that why the Kings would do that. For that for, 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 yeah, I was going to say it would be phenomenal for the Sixers. But, like, I, I don't want to move Tobias Harris. It's, he had the best half season of his career under Doc Rivers. It's the fun. talent is there. He, he is theoretically a strong fit next to the incumbent stars. I, I, I think he's the biggest reason why I'm still like, yeah, like, I can still see this working. I would agree that if you had – it probably costs more to get Tobias Harris off your books at this point anyway, so – I would move Al Horford first to begin with. However, if the your move is them not trading Tobias Harris, like I, I that, that's not enough to make me bullish on this roster. Well, we'll have to track you're, that. You're staring. You're staring blankly at me after that. We'll have, to, we'll have to track that along with the uh, the over under of two point five. The we actually did have one more question that I accidentally skipped over that you we're talking about before we started it comes from Franco Savariar. I apologize if I butchered that pronunciation. Who do you think the Charlotte Hornets should get with the third pick? Are they going to have it a choice? Like, Don't they just pick the player that wasn't picked by the two teams in front of them? Yes. If there is a clear cut top three in this draft, is there who it feels like, you know, we're, we're seeing rumors about LaMelo ball falling down the board now. And, you know, it, it, this this just feels so volatile. It feels like it could be a year with an Anthony Bennett style surprise number one draft pick, as rare as that happens. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the first place they're going to look is at center, right? Because Cody Zeller is is their starting center. He's only under contract for one more year. He doesn't have much upside, even if he is a solid player when he's healthy. So I think you're looking at a Yeko Kongwu or James Wiseman. Um, Wiseman to me seems like the better fit there. He offers more upside, um, on, on the defensive end in particular for that roster, I think. Um, but I just, I can't see them taking 
like a LaMelo ball if he falls, because why would you want him there next to Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier? That just, that doesn't seem to make sense. Similarly, you don't want an Anthony Edwards where the primary talent is scoring and we don't even know if he's going to be an efficient scorer. I personally don't think he will be. Um, so it feels like it has to be a big man or a reach on like a three and D guy, like a Devin Vassell or something. But it's just there, there don't seem to be that many great options. If Charlotte stays at number three, which is by no means a lock. Yeah, I so I'm not as against them going the Edwards ball route because I think those either one of those players and especially Lamelo Ball, even though I'm not his biggest fan, has a higher upside than anyone else on their roster right now, and that includes a Devontae Graham. So I don't think you could draft for based on fit at this point. Uh, I know you have Rozier and Devontae Graham. I would take Lamelo Ball anyway. Look, there's a chance all three of them could play together. Lamelo Ball is six eight, so that's not like impossible. I. I don't I'm I'm not sure how interested I am in them trading down. It would you have to get something like I don't know who's giving yeah. them something to move up to number 3. I'm more curious as what if they want to remove the guesswork from the equation and move up? Like what are you willing to give up to go to number 2 or number 3 to where you could in theory then I think Ball or Wiseman are the better fits for them, better long-term prospects for them. So if you're number 2, you ensure yourself of getting Sure. One of them. Or if you move up to sure. number one, you could take your pick, obviously. I just don't know that it's worth it in this draft class. And look, if you want Anthony Edwards, you can just go trade for the older version and get Andrew Wiggins from the Warriors. Wow. We'll revisit that take, too. Uh, I'm not really sure how to feel about that. Here's a trade I you, brought— you, you are sure how to feel about that one, because I've said it a thousand times to you on the side over I, the last year. Right, but I don't— It that's... pains me. It pains me as a Georgia alum. I'm here who for so the... desperately wants to have a Georgia Bulldog better than Kentavious Caldwell-Pope in the NBA. Uh, that's third best player on a championship team, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, to you, Adam. Just FYI. That's fair. That's fair. Here's So I had thrown this trade at you, I think, a week or two ago when we were talking in Slack, and I'm curious how you feel about it now. Let's say they want to move up. Let's say they want to move up to number one. I wouldn't do this trade or something, some variance of it to move up to number two. I think everyone's floated number two for Miles Bridges and number three, which I would probably do. Uh, would you do PJ Washington and number three for number one, number 17, Jake Lehman, and then a 2022 second coming from the more favorable from Denver or Philadelphia? I'm just, I'm so out on the top prospects being worth moving up to get that no matter what trade you throw at me right now, if it involves giving up a legitimate asset like PJ Washington or Miles Bridges to move up one or two spots, I'm just, I'm not doing it. I think if you view either of the players you're trying to get by moving up as the guy, it's definitely a worthwhile opportunity cost. I wouldn't worry as much about giving up Miles Bridges to take a swing at us. If you could do Miles Bridges, and number three for number one, in a heartbeat, to me, that should be done. I know moving up one spot might feel a little bit different, but you have P.J. Washington and Bridges. There's just a ton of overlap because neither one of them should be def- defending or playing the three to me. So you have some wiggle room there. I'm intrigued far more by P.J. Washington, which surprises no one. If you view LaMelo Ball or James Wiseman or even Anthony Edwards as the guy, I do think there's some franchise value in like, you know what, we're going we're gonna to go after it. And if it costs us... PJ Washington, but we're getting another first and a second and then a usable player in Jake Lehman on the wings, then yeah, we, we can do it. But I totally understand your trepidation there. I, in a vacuum, wouldn't do it either because I really like PJ Washington. If you replaced him with Miles Bridges, that's where, from Charlotte's perspective for me, it becomes no-brainer territory. Yeah, I just I, I stand by like I, I, I like Lumelo Ball as a prospect. I don't love him. 
I I don't have that much confidence in James Wiseman or Okongwu or Anthony Edwards, as I've made painfully clear. Um, so yeah, I just it's just not worth it to me. Here's I'll throw this question at you, and then we'll get out of here. Of the three, who's more likely to drop outside the top three? I think Ball is. You do think it's Ball? I do think it's Ball because I, I feel like he's a hate it, hate him or love him prospect. And I can just see a couple teams being out and then him kind of free-falling a little bit. I'm like, I go back and forth because I'm wonder, wondering if it's Anthony Edwards who's left. Is he the one that could drop? Because it feels like Denny Avia had just has so many like fans out there. And... I like I'm I'm like Edwards just checks so many of like the prototypical draft prospect boxes like he played in a power conference he he scores he is remarkably athletic he just doesn't have a feel for playing basketball and like if you believe that can be taught (laughs) you just I'm gonna triple down but you've you've like you're hedging now too, or like you're playing both sides of the fence because you're like, well, he won't drop past number three, well, but he's Andrew I, I Wiggins two point well, I think that NBA teams convince themselves that they can turn the tools into a convincing player. All right, so and especially in this draft, I'm I'm going player over tools. Like I, I wouldn't take Anthony Edwards in the top ten. Holy shit, that's spicier than I feel like Adam Spinella, friend of the pod, saying he wouldn't take Lamelo Ball in the in the lottery. I feel like that's the spicier one. All right, fair enough. So if you were on the board at number three, Wiseman and Ball are gone, would you take Denny Avia over Anthony Edwards? Yes. Would you take anybody else over Anthony Edwards? I would take a Kongwu as well. And those For are like sure. your only no-brainer ones where everyone else, it would be at least a discussion, or are you that low with Anthony Edwards that you're like, you know what, no, I'll, I'll take Halliburton at number three before I take Edwards at number three. I would probably take Halliburton as well. Wow. I, feel yeah, like I, that... just, I don't like Anthony Edwards as a prospect. I've, I've watched so many of his games, again, as a Georgia fan and alum. Like, you know, I, I, I so badly wanted him to be good. And I just, I don't see it. You know, like sometimes you just watch a prospect and you're like, he looks lost out there. Like if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he doesn't understand what he's supposed to do or where he's supposed to go and just looks uninvolved. The defensive tools just didn't seem to be coming together in any way. And I've just, I've been burned by too many like hyper athletic prospects who are, are athletes and not basketball players at this stage of their career. And I hope he proves me wrong. I really do. But like, I just, you know, sometimes you just watch a prospect and you just don't get it. And that's where I'm at here. That sounds, that's both fair and coherent. So I'll accept it. I, the actual last thing I'll say, do you know who I've been, I could, because I have become obsessed with one or two players every draft. It was Nikhil Alexander-Walker last year. I think it was Shea Gilgis-Alexander the year before that. Frank Nielakina is still my, my siren song. This year, it's, I haven't talked about it much. I mentioned it a few times. It was Patrick Williams, and he was projected mm-hmm. to go outside the lottery. And now I'm seeing him in like the top 10 of yeah, every single. Yeah, up the board. Yeah, and I'm curious to see where he goes because I, when I was talking to Spins about this, I said I viewed him as this is coming from someone who has done minimal draft prep. Prep. Let me say I'm like, I'm like shin deep, <laughs> like not even knee deep. I'm shin deep in draft draft prep. He feels like a slowed down version of Jonathan Isaac, who could actually create his own shot and shoot. And that's a fantastic basketball player. He's also the youngest NCAA pl- prospect in the class. That too. So he's. I have no feel for where he's going to go anymore. But it seems like he's now top ten consensus. And that was. I saw him like mocked as low as like 17 at one point. Yeah, yeah. He's he's definitely rocketed up the boards from everything we've seen. You want you want to end with my super hot draft take? I don't even know if I can take it. I'm already wearing mittens because I don't want to get burned. My my super hot take is I would take Grant Riller over Anthony Edwards. What? 
Is Grant Wheeler even an actual prospect? I'm just. You need to go go watch some tape there. So you, I, I can't. This is I'm like not even, I'm not even going to justify it. I'm just throwing it out there. We can talk more about it in the, in another episode. But would you take like? Are you taking the more complimentary players, where like a Devin Vassell or a Sadiq Bay, two players I'm also obsessed with from this draft, where they're like, I don't know what the upside is there, but they're yes. You would take them over Anthony yes. Edwards so in, like this, in this specific class. Yes. So you're just I, I'm valuing floor over ceiling here because yeah, so I you're just have so many concerns. In the ceiling. Okay. Yeah. I think when it's framed that way, that's fine. Uh, I have not heard anyone. And I love Grant Riller. Where is he even mocked right now? I feel like that's the first time I'm even hearing He's his name. Not even in the first round in a okay. lot of mocks. Well, then I have to, again shin deep in draft prep. Uh, I don't know who Grant Riller is, so I'm going to look at that name. Apparently. Guys, thank you for listening. If you've made it to the end, we did not anticipate giving you a 75-minute podcast, so of course we gave you a 75- to 80-minute podcast. Please, please, pretty please remember to subscribe and download all our episodes, and whether or not you use iTunes, head over there, search Hardwood Knox, throw us a five-star rating, write a review. Constructive criticism is is also welcome. We will read it all, but five-star rating is is super important. Until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to the one the only, the number 37 ranked player on Adam's 2020 draft big board, Anthony Edwards. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.